Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, this is going to be a tough one to figure out what inspired this because we are doing a Missing Pieces episode going back to 2006's Southland Tales from Richard Kelly. Uh, this movie, what inspired this? Oh boy, we have got quite the conversation in store for you guys. Returning to the show is filmmaker Joe Black, who he picked this one, and he has a lot to say about it, and uh, yeah, we get into a lot with this one. It's it's a fun one. So before we get into the conversation, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, and follow us on social media at PiecingPod, and of course, join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all these movies, and I'm sure there will be plenty of conversations over the years, forever, about Southland Tales, because this is the movie that kind of keeps on giving in a way but anyway let's get into this conversation because like i said it, it's a long one and we have a lot to say about this movie all right so back on the show with us today we are going to finally get joe black on one of these missing pieces episodes <laughs> joe how's it going man I'm doing very well. Very busy, but very well. How about yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am busy too. We are, we, if nothing else, we are keeping busy during these crazy times, aren't we? Yeah, I'm busier than ever in an odd way. <laughs> it really feels that way sometimes. Uh, but yeah, we've been talking about doing this one since I first uh, started the Missing Pieces series. And uh, when I put the idea out there into the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces group and just messaging people who had been on the show in the past... You suggested Southland Tales, I and sure some somehow I had never seen this movie. I uh, I am really happy I now can say, if nothing else, I have seen this movie. That's fair. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> you know I I'm a huge fan of this movie. Um, I saw it when it came out. Oh, I was working at Blockbuster at the time, and mm -hmm. we got these graphic novels in advance for this thing called Southland Tales, and I didn't know that. I just thought we were getting graphic novels, and then yeah. uh, and then. A week later, the DVD showed up, and I was like, "What is this? What is this?" You know, and nobody seemed to gel with it the way that I did. And even online, like, like it's hard to find like videos about the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, or like, you know, think pieces about the movie. So when you when you were saying you were doing this, I was like, "Oh man, what I would give to hear a podcast on Southland Tales." Sure. No. <laughs> well, you know, before we get into puzzle pieces and all that stuff, I do think. 
after watching this movie, it, it's a lot. And I was kind of telling you before we started recording, I do wish I had seen it multiple times. I especially wish I saw it back then. Mm -hmm. uh, this came out 2006, I believe. Uh, and it, I feel like this is the kind of crazy that I would have absolutely connected with when it came out in 2006. I would have been like, whoa, this mm -hmm. is awesome. You know, watching it now, I was... I don't know, a little exhausted watching it. I was a little, it's a lot to take in. Um, it is, there's just so much going on. And, but that being said, like I, like I already said, I'm really happy I finally got to see this thing. And I think we're just going to have so much to talk about. I think this is going to be a fun conversation. Uh, you know, there's going to be so many things to discuss during this movie. I think we might as well just get into some puzzle pieces and we'll talk about all the things along the way. Uh, we'll start off, of course, with our going backwards. What what movies may have inspired Southland Tales? What do you have for your first piece? Okay. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to kind of uh, ease us into the idea of what the movie is about. It, you know what I mean? Mm. So my first puzzle piece was uh, RoboCop 2. Okay. Not the first one, the second one. Specifically okay. about like um a drug epidemic changing the consciousness of a society in dystopia. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um Southland Tales is was set it's weird. It wasn't even quite like set in the future future. It was set like, you know, two or like 2 years in the future at the time mm -hmm. that it was made, but it's a totally radically different future with different outcomes to everything and there's a new fuel source being built, uh, a hydrogen fuel source called Liquid Karma. But mm. that fuel source can also be extracted and turned into a drug, which is getting like, uh, it's basically the drug is being used by the government to um, oppress, keep the rebellion down, basically, to keep them oppressed, sure. you know? Um, it's how they're fighting, it's how the government's winning on both ends in the movie. And um, like RoboCop 2, which I thought was... Uh, I actually think that movie gets a bad rap. I think that the first RoboCop is brilliant, but the second one I think is in its own way just as brilliant. Hmm. That um, it is about how uh, how narcotics in general are used as a propaganda tool by the government of something that needs to be stopped, but simultaneously used by the government as something to keep people suppressed. Sure. Very, very, uh, very key important thing to talk about this uh this particular week oh absolutely yeah well what do you know yeah. <laughs> southland tales and robocop too ahead of their time but um <laughs> but even more than just like um specifically the drug influence i also think that what both uh all all the robocops but also southland tales do very brilliantly is they manage the, these films are satire sure. you know what i mean um but satire doesn't necessarily mean like spoof or, you know what I mean, like flat out like s silly, but sure. I mean, some of the but like that is a way to like be to be inviting into what you're trying to express is to be like self-aware and to be and to have a certain levity and sincerity about yourself. You know what I mean? Where you're not afraid to be kind of silly. Mm -hmm. um, like I love the scene in uh, Southland Tales when the government is raiding the um their hideout, the, the, you know, the rebels hideout and they, they kill a guy on a toilet and then they shoot another guy with a shotgun and he flies into a giant toilet statue. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> that was straight slapstick. Yeah. Like that's, that's what, <laughs> but like, it's still a very powerful and effective moment, you know, leading to Sean William Scott passing out uh, on top of the building and landing in a dumpster, 
Like, yep. it's, you know what I mean? It's 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 very funny. Did you recognize that the guy who gets shot on the toilet was Eli Roth? I did. I 100 mm-hmm. percent did. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Wait a minute, I think that was fucking Eli Roth. And <laughs> I went and looked it up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I really appreciated the satirical edge that the movie had. Um, but I'll get into that in my next puzzle. Okay. So. All right. Well, I the only thing I have to say about RoboCop 2, a great puzzle piece to kick it off. I don't really remember the plot that well. I think I actually saw that in the theater. Mm-hmm. I was really young. And the only thing I remember is, doesn't a brain get squashed at one point? Well, one the drug dealer becomes a giant brain with eyeballs. Gotcha. Chain, and yes, he does. It's, yeah, then that brain, well, that brain gets put inside of the, um, the RoboCop 2. And... <laughs> <laughs> and then RoboCop like busts it open and <laughs> smashes. There you it. go. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. That 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 memory is in, imprinted on me. I, I love that moment. That was great. I uh, haven't seen it though since back then. I got to meet the director of it once, Ivan Kirshner, who did. Um, he also did The Empire Strikes Back. And right. um, I was doing an internship, and he was teaching us about like movie trailers or something like that. He was very old at the time. But we uh, had to cut together a trailer for footage from Star Trek, the motion picture, like make a trailer for it. And I did it really fast. And then he and he came to look at it. And, and at the end, I was like, what do you think? And he goes, he goes, the cuts don't feel inspired. And I was and I went inspired, dude, you made RoboCop, too. Like, I didn't realize that. I, I like, But he just like looked at me and then started laughing. And I was like, almost puked. I was so nervous. <laughs> I felt so bad because I love RoboCop, too. I was just joking. oh the poor guy Uh, (laughs) r.i.p yeah well i will uh go on to my next piece then and let's see what should i kick it off with i guess i'll kick it off with a little they live that's come up on the show before uh but i think there's like a whole underlying current of these like elite and this this real world of what they you know what they know is true and what they're feeding the public and uh and a a lot of very uh weird like technology and a lot of very and that that's going to permeate a lot of my other pieces as well the weird technology and futurism and everything going on in the movie uh but I, I think mainly though with they live it's just that that idea of the elite knows what's going on and everyone else is being controlled everybody else has uh you know blinders on as far as what's really happening within the country and just that whole political satire element of the whole thing and setting up all this weird sci-fi to tell a very uh of the moment very real uh story that ends up mirroring so much of the real world even though it feels so crazy as it's playing out yeah yeah i yeah i see i've always had a a draw to the movie they live i have mm-hmm. never been able to finish it though because i just how i put this hate it <laughs> like i don't i don't know how to put it i i um i think that First of all, I mean, for anyone listening, I have to preface this by saying I don't like uh, any John Carpenter movies. I don't I don't care for his work. Um, That is that isn't to say that I think his movies are bad. I mean, most of them I do think are bad, but I just don't care for his his work. You know what I mean? I Mm -hmm. don't um, I like the characters in Big Trouble in Little China. That's about it. Um, Mm. But uh, my problem with They Live and this isn't even a criticism is that it's just so on the nose. Like it's so on the nose and it's, it's so, super on the nose. Yeah. But, but it also is so like 
clearly making a statement that I have to question it. It has to be wrong, in my opinion. <laughs> like, like there's something about it that like, it's like, no, that's too easy. You know what I mean? Like, it's I think it's too easy for filmmakers, especially su very successful filmmakers who get blank checks to make their movies like he did at the time or whatever, like mm -hmm. to like say, see, see what they're doing to you. It's like, dude, you are they. Right. You, you know right. what I mean? Um, Adam McKay does the same shit, which we talked about with the greed thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, for sure. But um, what I love so much about Southland Tales is that I think that what what Southland Tales is more about is about how confused we were all becoming by all of this influence. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Like it's it's literally about the chaos that comes from from all these different sources of influence, especially showing how media was shifting more into celebrity. You know what sure. I mean? Like this is pre-Kardashian when he made this movie. And yet you've got, you know, Chris Now, like, you yeah. know, like uh saying uh you know she's becoming a paris hilton influencer you know she's an influencer before instagram or facebook you know what i mean totally yeah um and uh and the rock being like the key to like this senator you know getting elected president like the rock is an actor in it who you know yeah it, it's it's so now right right and so like i think what i appreciated about southland tales versus what i don't care for and they live is that like again they live is so direct and so like accusatory when when southland tales is more it's more of a quest it's more of a you're searching for meaning and the what it means to you you know right another thing i don't you know southland tales is very confusing um especially the first time you watch it i was wondering did you get that justin timberlake his character for those if you haven't seen the film is um is a iraq war vet who sits on top of a gunner on top of the Santa Monica Pier protecting the the borders of liquid karma the liquid karma um uh, reactor that was built right off the Santa Monica Pier. Mm -hmm. Um did you get that he was supposed to be a famous actor who was drafted into the Iraq war? No, I yeah. did not. See, it's 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 hard to pick up on the first time, but that's Yeah, there's so many little details like it's mm -hmm. crazy. Well, I when I saw it, I was like, how do you not which this can feed into my next puzzle piece if you want. Okay. Which was Star Wars. Sure. Um, because this Southland Tales the movie starts with chapter 4. <laughs> it's chapters 4, that. 5 and 6. Chapters 1, 2 and 3 were this graphic novel that he produced beforehand. Um which explains a lot of the backstory to these people. And I remember seeing the movie for the first time being like, there, I'm confused and I know everything. You know what I mean? Because right. like, I read the book. <laughs> um, but yeah, Justin Timberlake's character was a famous actor who got drafted into the Iraq war. So he was like a celebrity you know, soldier who mm -hmm. then Sean William Scott and he were, were buddies. I don't know if you got this from it. He and Sean William Scott were buddies and Sean William Scott accidentally um set off a grenade that blew up justin timberlake's face and holy shit there i <laughs> no i did not <laughs> ruin it. that's why he has all those scars on his face sure and that's why he's become a drug addict too um and just sean william scott never forgave himself for it and to the drugs what they don't explain necessarily in this version of the movie they explain it a little better in the can cut but the can cut is not as good as the final cut 
because originally mm-hmm. for those listening, Richard Kelly made a cut of this movie in time for the Cannes Film Festival that was like almost 10 minutes longer and things are all moved around in different orders. Like the mm. guy getting his hand cut off is actually like the beginning of the can cut. Yeah, I heard that it's it's longer. I thought it was even more than 10 minutes longer, but actually explains less. It just throws you in the deep end even more. Well, it it, it actually, that's see, it's different. It, it actually explains more, but just mm-hmm. it's more confusing in gotcha. the structure. <laughs> okay. The theatrical no. cut is better, in my opinion. Okay. Um, but, uh, but Sean William Scott never forgave himself. And so when he takes what they don't explain in the theatrical cut is that liquid karma creates a psychic link between the red liquid karma between you and anyone else using it at the same time. So at mm. the end of the film, when Sean William Scott takes the liquid karma, right, he is psychically mm-hmm. linked to Justin Timberlake. So when he's in the ice cream truck, if anybody hasn't seen this movie and is listening to this, they're like, what? Are yeah, they it's about? like, what the fuck? Yeah. When they're in the ice cream <laughs> truck, when Sean William Scott is shaking hands with his with his past self in the ice cream truck, mm-hmm. he's actually talking to Justin Timberlake when he says, I forgive you. So he's forgiving him well, through ju- well, himself ju- in a way. Well, Justin like, Timberlake is forgiving him through himself. Like Justin, right. like, I forgive you for what you did because past Sean William Scott's about to blow his brains out. Right. right? I have a theory that that's him becoming the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Um, that like Sean, that Justin Timberlake is so upset by like what's happened to the world and losing his celebrity and losing his fame. And now he's nothing but an addict who works for the fucking system. And he mm. just wants to see it collapse. Um, that he convinces Sean William Scott not to kill himself because if the rock is Christ, (laughs) (laughs) if the rock is Christ at the end, you know, when he, you know, when he holds out his hands on the Zeppelin as it's destroyed, if he's Christ, then Sean William Scott, who also went through the time warp has to be the antichrist. If we're following Mm -hmm. the book of revelation, like, like, like Justin Timberlake's character is. Mm -hmm. So I think that's actually the creation of the antichrist. (laughs) through forgiveness jesus christ man i yeah so i I like i like that (laughs) yeah so like star wars it's just it's (laughs) chapters four five and six come first because now richard kelly has announced that he's gonna do a prequel movie that's half live action half animated yeah i did have star wars on my list as well uh i even as not a big star wars guy myself i i noticed the whole four five six thing um and then also just filled with so much political stuff you know star sure. wars is known for just packing it to the gills with with political stuff and that's true and it's like it's shit. it's like four five and six like the original trilogy but instead it's like he made it like the prequel trilogy but crammed it all into one movie yeah <laughs> i i gotta say as crazy and like all over the place as that whole explanation just was the time travel in this movie is a little easier to follow than some other movies. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. With the brilliant button with Kevin Smith, who also plays an Iraq war vet with no legs and a long wizard beard. I just <laughs> love the way he explains it when he, when they're explaining to the rock that he went back in time and met his past self and his past self killed himself. <laughs> I love that Kevin Smith just screams at him. You traveled through time, sir. <laughs> like, you know, like, like any kind of like, giddy geek would do you know yeah for sure (laughs) and what's the rock's famous line in that scene how could i kill myself i'm a pimp and pimps don't commit suicide (laughs) pimps definitely do not commit suicide yeah that is quite the line uh that's very memorable (laughs) it's better in the theatrical cut because in the can cut they only say it once and it's just kind of like 
it's weird. The can cut feels like fan service to the. <laughs> It, it's very it's a very odd experience watching that versus the uh, the theatrical cut. Like, I, I pity anybody who's only seen the can cut. <laughs> well, I'll go on to another piece. Uh, this one is a little bit cheating because technically I, I, I had it on my list and then I realized, oh, shit, it came out the same year. Um, it might have even been after. I'm not sure. But it is Mike Judge's Idiocracy. Um, I, another movie where celebrity and politics really blend together and you, you get that, that very real, very now thing of celebrities having so much influence over the, the world of politics. Um, and in both of these alternate future realities, uh, everything has just gotten so dumb and weird and just ridiculous and then on top of that you also get um the corporate influence of the future which is again very real real feeling and i feel like that's where we're going where everything is sponsored by some corporate brand uh product placement absolutely everywhere and uh you you get so much of that in idiocracy and so much of that in southland tales and (laughs) if one if one wasn't influenced by the other they certainly came from a similar headspace of where things were going. Yeah, Hustler Hustler magazine advertising on the side of a tank in Southland Tales. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, Idiocracy is another odd one that like, I want to love it because I love Office Space and even more than Office Space, I love Extract. And even more, I couldn't than, get into Extract. I don't I, know why. I, I gotta give it a chance. I can understand day. that. It's weird. Like That's an odd movie and it's odd that I like it so much because Infidelity is a touchy thing for me in movies like how they handle mm. it i think though is so honest that there's something there's something really gripping about it but i mean nothing he's done in my opinion and comes near to how transcendent beavis and butthead is oh, um the best it's one of my favorite things period uh, is that show but um but idiocracy is another one where like the idea felt incomplete to me one mm. thing that's really interesting to me about idiocracy is that other than the president there are like no minorities in that movie. Hmm. That's interesting. You, you know what I mean? There's, 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 you know what I mean? There's, there's no, there are no gay characters. There's no, you know, no, there are only white characters in that movie. And then I guess Maya Rudolph too. You know what I mean? Like, sure. but, um, but it, it, I, and I, and I think I got too distracted by that to really be able to get into it, to enjoy it. Cause I'm just like, uh, like is he did he not do it because he didn't want to offend people or is he trying to make a statement by doing that but it's an interesting observation i i have to assume it was just a poor casting decision i i want to believe that you know there are certain (laughs) ideas though that i think that like are so good that i think that as a filmmaker you have a responsibility to do them justice like i i that sounds so like self-righteous of me you know what i mean like (laughs) but like movies like groundhog day like mm-hmm. I really don't care for that film because I feel like they gave the the whitewash treatment to a really what could have been a really beautiful and affecting and equally as entertaining movie, you know. Sure. Um and Idiocracy what I notice is that like that movie gets used a lot by people on the internet especially talking about like oh here we go toward Idiocracy, you know, it has this little mm-hmm. cult following of and um and that's another thing to me that like I feel like Southland Tales does in its own kind of like subconscious way better that like you can't really utilize Southland tales as a weapon to make people like, like it's saying like, 
oh, it's just like it's like Southland Tales predicted. It's like, no, it's it, Southland Tales is dealing with something a little more complex in within you, in your soul. Mm. You know, it's a very soulful film, you know what I mean? In, in that it's bringing science fiction and spirituality together, you yeah. know? Um, so, and, and again, these aren't criticisms of idiocracy. You know what I mean? Mm. I just, I just noticed the way that people receive something like idiocracy and they live versus, uh, the way that people flat out rejected <laughs> they sure did, man. Yeah. You know, one thing before we move on to another piece, uh, you're bringing up the soulfulness of the movie. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I think would be maybe my biggest criticism of the movie, and maybe we'll see what you have to say about this. I feel like Richard Kelly believes in what he's making here a hundred percent. And maybe it's because of the weird casting choices of getting like a lot of Saturday Night Live people and a lot of like action movie people. But I feel like the actors don't know what the fuck they're doing necessarily. And I'm not like totally saying that they're doing a bad job necessarily. I just, I don't know that they believe they're in an a particularly interesting political satire or whatever. I think that they're just like along for the ride in a way. I think that it's actually um, the exact opposite, but it's okay. perfect. You said Saturday Night Live because it feeds into my next thing, which was Saturday Night Live. Okay, um, cool. Because so much of this cast is pulled from not just one era, but many eras of Saturday Night Live. You've sure. Got, uh, uh, you've got like John Lovitz and you've got Sherry O'Terry. Um, you've got, uh, uh, what's her name? Nora, um, Nora Dunn. You've got, uh, you know, you have all these different, uh, and then you also have like the mad TV people you have. Will Sasso is in this movie. Um, oh yeah, that's right. What Richard Kelly, I think kind of brilliantly did was most of these people, a are television celebrities. Mm. Um, and B they are people who starred in things that were kind of like tongue-in-cheek satire that t- were t- taken as sincere. People like Christopher Lambert, you know, from Highlander. He mm. took these people and he made a very sincere project. You know what mm. I mean? Like, and I think that these actors like Sherry O'Terry, I think Sherry O'Terry is brilliant in the movie. Or mm. Sean William Scott, who at that point was literally just known as Stifler. You sure. know what I mean? Um, and The Rock, who was, you know, a wrestler at the time. This is before he was Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, it's weird seeing him in this. Like it, you forget because now he's just like the biggest movie star in the world, basically, and like he is still the wrestler of the Rock in this. Right. Well, see what's beautiful too. I Richard Kelly. I actually got to. So like one time I was in a video store. They still exist here in L.A. And mm-hmm. somebody was asking for a recommendation, and I was just so happened to be standing next to Southland Tales. And mm-hmm. I just started going off on Southland Tales being like, get this movie, blah, 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 like for like five minutes. Then after like five minutes of me just like on a soapbox about it, this other dude pops his head from around the corner and goes, are you talking about Southland Tales? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I edited that movie. And I was like, what? You know, so like I, I, I immediately befriended him. He edited all three of Richard Kelly's films. And he said that originally the idea for Southland Tales, which um, the original idea was it was like rollerbladers who like or skateboarders who who were filming a skate video and accidentally witnessed an assassination, a political assassination or something like that. And we're going to use that hmm. to blackmail the government or something. And that he watched the whole thing unfold and become what it was. And he's like, I don't even know what it is. Um, Richard Kelly, as a filmmaker, all three of his films are kind of linked. I don't really care for Donnie Darko. 
Um, but I love Southland Tales and I love the box because I think what what he's so focused on is like the soul. You know what mm. I mean? Um, the soul and how technology grants us access to the soul and also pulls us away from the soul. And that that push and pull is what attracts him to stories. Um, and I think that when you're a comedian, when you're a Sherry O'Terry or when you're Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who's known for, I mean, these people are living their life in what they consider to be satire. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it must be difficult for people to not see the meaning in what you do. Um, like wrestling is another one of my favorite things in the world. Like I think wrestling is like right behind jazz, the greatest art form that, that America <laughs> has given the world. Wrestling entertainment. You know what I mean? It's so wonderfully theatrical. And in this era where like, you know, you've got like, you know, what everyone, you know, classifies as like, you know, redneck, uh, alt-right, white trash, standing in a crowd, you know, of thousands cheering on Finn Balor as he wiggles his package in front of you in his leather jacket with his, you know, and it, it makes you stand up and push your hands in the air, you know what I mean? Like, like RuPaul style. And you've got thousands of white trash rednecks doing that with you. I mean, how do you not see the artistry there? How do you not see, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? That like bringing and, it back to idiocracy, right? Well, but, but like, but, but I mean to say that like these people, people like what the rock was doing. I mean, these are, these are artists sure. and Southland tales. I think what Richard Kelly was trying to do was he was trying to offer them a platform where they could do what they do best, which is satire, which mm -hmm. is theatricality, but he allowed them to inject it with sincerity. And I think mm -hmm. if any of them fall short, I think it's because they haven't been given that opportunity before. And so they're still a little green at it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And um, I actually think that Sean William Scott, too, gives uh, an award worthy performance in this movie. I think he, yeah. he, he is so beautifully realized as both of his characters, um, Donald and Ronald. <laughs> um, um, yeah, uh, like. Um, so I think that like, and Saturday Night Live, in, you know, it now more than ever is known for how satirical it can be. You know what I mean? It, 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 it fancies itself as an intellectual property anymore. Um, mm -hmm. But this was like before all of that. And I think that Richard Kelly saw that in them and he wanted to do something new with them. And I think that he got, you know, I mean, it is new. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. I met Sherry O'Terry at uh, my, the movie theater I was working at at one time. And I was like, you know, porn or coke or whatever. And she was like, I was like, I've got to, I fucking love Southland Tales. She goes, oh, no, you do not. And I was like, no, I really do. I, I adore that. But she goes, she goes, okay, well, then you're one of two. And I was like, who is the other one? She's like Marilyn Manson. And she walked away. There you go. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's a good story. Well, I will go, I'll go to another piece. Uh, and this one, I, I've already been talking about all the little futuristic details and stuff like that, but I, I also just thought of Demolition Man and mm. just all of the little extra technological advances and weird technological things and ideas that are being thrown in. And, you know, a lot of them feel very real, especially when you, you know, think 2006 to now and things that have happened. But then uh, a lot of them are just totally, you know, kind of a, a ridiculous version of the future that, you know, 
where does that even come from? It's just like a total kind of a, a comic book version of the future, you know? Right. Uh, but uh, that's always been a movie where I haven't seen it in many years, but the thing that always stood out to me was just the inventiveness of like all of the little futuristic ideas in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, Demolition Man, one of the, one of the true like truly beautiful things about that movie is that it has no consideration for uh, logic or function right? <laughs> in, in its future. And I mean that as a, as a, as a, as a positive, like, you know, the infamous yeah. joke of like, he doesn't know how to use the three seashells to wipe his ass. It's like, what are you talking yeah. about? Like, I, <laughs> like neither does the person who made this movie. You know what I mean? They, right. they, they don't have any consideration for the functionality of the world that they created. And that is a beautiful thing. Because right. it's so consistently stupid, that, uh, <laughs> but it's stupid in the best way. You know what I mean? Sure. That, um, that you get to like focus on what's uh, what their intention was, which was to thrill, which was mm-hmm. to excite and entertain. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, but like we already complained about how expensive it is to put criminals in prison. But when that movie came out, it was like three years in the future. Now we're like cryo freezing people and storing <laughs> them for thirty years. <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then implanting them with like rehabilitation things, like being able to knit and shit like that. It's like, what? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> it's it's fun. It's fun to dream, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Hey, that's actually a beautiful way to put it. That's great. My favorite part of that whole movie is when they're fighting in the museum, and they fall into like a little pit from like that's like a preserved section of the earthquake that tore Los Angeles apart. And there's mm-hmm. like a TV down there and he takes it and he throws it at Wesley Snipes and he goes, you're on TV. <laughs> I love it. That's fucking great. Yeah, it is. Oh yeah. my God. All right. What do you got next? I, I find it really interesting that like, you, like I didn't even think of any of these that you're talking about. And like, it makes so much sense. And it also kind of makes even more sense as to why. A, people didn't know what to do with this movie when it came out, and B, people did, like, it's interesting. It's interesting, the, the through line that you're creating here with these with your pieces, it's, it's, it's really blowing my mind because <laughs> these ideas are so clear and so mm-hmm. simple that everyone has kind of, like, um, embraced them. Every movie you've mentioned has a huge following. Right. And right. and like and that following is all con- like they're all the same people, like the same people who like idiocracy, like the demolition man, like um they live. I'm speaking in generalities, but that's interesting. And yet, and yet things haven't changed since mm-hmm. any of those movies came out. If anything, those movies only seem to like affirm the beliefs of people who already believed it and almost acted as a way to pacify them from like continuing to search because after those films now they feel validated Mm -hmm. but i don't want i don't mean that as a criticism of them either or the films themselves i think that like maybe one of the uh hard things for southland tales that it like didn't that like maybe where it might fall short um i say maybe might because i really love the movie i can Mm -hmm. if anybody tells me they hate it i go yeah then no yes that makes perfect sense yes wallace sean and curtis armstrong are the main villains in this movie yeah i get that um but um but maybe like there has to be a a better balance where southland tales falls short is that i don't think it needed to be more clear unless if it wouldn't have had to be more clear if it had been a little more clear story-wise maybe 
if it had been mm. a little cleaner and a little more to the point story wise, but how can you probe the soul if you do that? And I'm not saying you can't, I'm not saying that is like, it's impossible, but like, that's a tough thing to figure out and good for Richard Kelly to out of, you know, he, you know, Donnie Darko was basically an independent film. And so after that minor hit, he went, well, they'll never let me do this again. So here yeah, we go. right. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> but my last piece that I had on here, um, I wanted it to be kiss me deadly because like, you know, I've heard him talk about that being an influence and it plays in the movie at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris, now she's watching, uh, she's watching the, uh, the scene from kiss me deadly, but, um, I don't really like that movie. Um, mm -hmm. and I've never been able to finish it, so I can't really speak to why it, it influenced him. Um, but, uh, so my last piece is I w I'm calling it the, the gold star Robert Altman collection. Mm -hmm. Um, where, uh, and and what I mean by that is uh, Robert Altman is one of my favorite filmmakers. And and if you're not familiar with his work, he like he was a um, he made ensemble movies that were kind of they were more character driven than story driven. Um, and some were more successful than others. Um, but his biggest hits were movies like MASH, Nashville, The Player and Shortcuts. You could also say that um, Gosford Park was a big hit as well. So I call those the gold star. Those are the ones that like critically award, you know, reclaimed awards and like audiences really connected with them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think each one of those has an influence in um, in Southland Tales. With MASH, you have this idea. This is kind of a cheat puzzle piece. It's sure. like a, I think of it as uh, how AIM, you remember AIM? That was my favorite acronym because it was AOL Instant Messenger, which meant that it had an acronym within the acronym because AOL is America <laughs> Online. So like, <laughs> that's what this is. Um, MASH was set during the Korean War, but it was an obvious metaphor for the Vietnam War, right? Like mm -hmm. they, were, they were trying to make people think it was the Vietnam War. This war in Southland Tales, they're calling it the, the Iraq War, but it's like this alternate weird Iraq war that happened after the one we were currently in where people were drafted. You know what I mean? So it blurs the line between reality and its reality of what war we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, then you've got Nashville, which um, specifically deals with the idea of, um, of celebrity. You know what I mean? And sure. like a hodgepodge of politically charged celebrity. You've got all these Nashville simple minded folk, you know, that like uh, are trying to keep America pure. Right. Mm -hmm. So that line of entertainment and politics mashing together. Um, then you have the player, which if you haven't seen the player, it's about a studio executive who accidentally murders a, uh, a screenwriter and is trying to cover it up. And it's all about um, his like survival of image and his in his soul search of being an artist or not, whether he'll cave into the evils and the manipulation of Hollywood, much like the rocks character. Sure. Then you've got Gossard Park, which is a dealing of class systems. You know what I mean? Like two class systems that totally ignore that each other exists because they look at each other as just an inconvenience when one feeds the other. So all these resentments are building up without people even knowing it. And in Gossard Park, there's a murder. It's a murder mystery, but you don't even know if it was a murder or not. Like that's part of the confusion because there's no communication yeah. between classes. And then finally, you have uh, Shortcuts, which is this sprawling look at specifically Los Angeles. And the inner workings and how people who think that they're totally disconnected can have an can have an impact on each other. And even when they don't impact each other, it kind of points out how these 
what we think are meaningless crosses in life that we come to, like encounters that we have, like who knows who those people are? You know what I mean? And and right. shortcuts and Southland Tales both do that. Where like just because two characters in these movies meet doesn't mean that we know anything about like that they know anything about each other, but we know mm. something about them. So they're helping us understand that everything kind of that everything has a purpose and that there is some kind of weird design universe. Like hmm. Christopher Lambert in the ice cream truck. M kidnapping Sean William Scott halfway through the movie has nothing to do with Sherry O'Terry beating his ass because he won't take a check earlier <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Um, you could not have that scene with him and Sherry O'Terry, and the movie wouldn't be any different story-wise necessarily, mm -hmm. you know. That scene about him and Sherry O'Terry is for Sherry O'Terry, is for her character. For you to understand sure. what she's going through, not necessarily him. And as a filmmaker, what excites me is when people um, draw those lines. I love seeing those paths cross and cross again, as Patty Smith said. Um, I think that that's how you create understanding mm -hmm. rather than wagging a finger in somebody's face or pointing the finger away from yourself like they live does. Like, mm. you know, um, yeah. That that's a interesting run of movies and like all those little bits and pieces that all come together in this just show how like densely packed this movie is to Dense. really be dealing with all of that. Dense is the right word. <laughs> yeah, it's... I think so. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was I you know, it when I when I thought of the five star album thing, I didn't realize that it was a cheat until I was like saying it. I was like, Oh, this is cheating. This, <laughs> this is... works for me. Oh, great. Great. <laughs> well, uh, I'll go ahead and do the finished puzzle, and then we'll look at some movies that came since Southland Tales that maybe were inspired by it. Uh, so we just talked about Robocop 2, They Live, Star Wars, Idiocracy, Saturday Night Live, Demolition Man, and a bunch of Robert Altman movies, uh, MASH, Nashville, The Player, Gosford Park, Shortcuts. Uh, why don't we jump into looking forward? Um, what do you have as far as things that maybe, obviously this is such a strange movie, a weird cult thing, not a lot of people connected with it, but it had to inspire some stuff. Uh, what, is there anything that you thought of that might have been inspired by it? It's funny. The only thing that I could think of um, that I've seen in a theater is um, her like has a slight like aesthetic influence from this movie. Hmm. Um, but I think that her is also um, kind of a shallow, silly movie. Um, hmm. I don't really care for that movie. Uh, to be honest, I, I worried about this question because I didn't want to sound vain. But the only influence i can see that this movie had on other movies is in my movies all <laughs> like, right i like, like it like I, I and i don't mean that to say like you know like i don't mean that that to like self-promote or brag or anything because i mean to brag that you're influenced by southland tales is an insane thing to say um <laughs> you like southland tales come watch my movies yeah oh you like southland <laughs> tales way to get a load of me um uh no southland tales Richard Kelly to me is kind of a hero um, because uh, especially after Domino, which came out before this, he didn't direct that, but he wrote it. He was tasked with giving us writing a script about uh, a supermodel who becomes a bounty hunter. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that was the movie. And he turned it into this beautiful film about like uh, uh, about uh, 
like women's rights and and about uh, immigration and about you know what I mean like he really went for this complex crazy meaningful film and mm. God bless Tony Scott for going yeah this is the version I want to do <laughs> um, but Richard Kelly I what I love the most about Southland Tales is how unafraid it is to be silly because it understood that silly didn't mean stupid or dumb or or invalid mm-hmm. and and how it brilliantly balances silly and sincere. I love how much faith it has in its audience. Some could argue, even me, even though I love it, that it had too much faith in its audience, mm-hmm. um, which is a criticism of the film, not of the audience. Um, and I love that it that he obviously had so much on his mind and so much in his heart, and that, that he had all these different characters and storylines coming together. And I think the reason why, as my buddy who edited the movie said it started out as this one little idea and why it germed into what it was was because he cared so much and he was and he wanted to see something new and so mm. like you know in my movies um like what i've leaned into especially in the last like five years or so is my movies really go out of their way and i'm not bragging when i say this like i'm just mm-hmm. like explaining what i'm trying to get at in my films they really go out of their way if there's a point or purpose to any of my movies it's not to tell a moral a morality tale or to give you a message all my movies i'm trying to create understanding Hmm. and 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 understand and not even understanding of who someone is but just the understanding that everyone is someone Mm -hmm. like um so like i have a movie about i had and it's funny i made this movie before meeting the editor so before knowing what southland tales started out as but i made a movie about called low town that was supposed to be about um a guy who was filming b-roll for a uh for a a stupid like horror movie or something gets caught up in a diamond heist and taken hostage but he has Hmm. footage of he has footage of the diamond heist and and like he escapes with one of the people who double crossed all the other people in the diamond heist so they're gonna go disappear to his hometown in florida and like hide with the diamonds so they can sell them off using the the tape as like, you know, um, their nice. security so that the bad guys won't find them. Right. It was, you know, a simple idea. And I sat down to write that movie and a day into it, I was like, I've seen this movie. You know what I mean? I've seen like, you know what I mean? Like I've seen that movie before. And so it just germed into this thing that ended up being a 158 page screenplay that, Whew. that, cause I got so invested in who the, who is this cinematographer and who is this, this uh, this jewel thief, you know, actress, and who are the, who? How did they become this? And who are the people that this would affect? And who are this? Sure. Who the, who are the people that this would affect indirectly? Um, and I became obsessed with that. And we did. We made a 158 page uh, fish out of water diamond heist comedy for forty thousand dollars, and we shot it in ten days. And every single person who's seen that movie, which of my movies, that's probably the most viewed movie. Mm-hmm. Um, every single person who's seen it, you know, we, we got some, you know, some, some good criticism. We got some, you know, and we had a really positive response from about half. Um, but <laughs> I can't tell you how many times people have come back to me and said, dude, it was so much better the second time. <laughs> like <laughs> it was, you know, and, um, so Southland Tales to me is a pioneer. It's a first through the gates. You know what I mean? And I wish that I knew other influences that I could reference. I'm hoping to mm. hear ones from you. Cause like your puzzle pieces blew my mind. 
<laughs> right on. Well, I actually, I do have two. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll jump into mine then. Uh, first one I wanted to bring up, he obviously had a cameo in the movie. It's Kevin Smith mm-hmm. and basically all of his movies after Red State. Mm-hmm. Um, just leaning into his own crazier ideas that maybe don't necessarily make sense to anyone but him, but he's just l- going for it and, uh, you know, adding in all these, these political elements, these crazier elements, and just really, uh, not worrying so much about, uh, whether or not the audience is going to follow him into the idea that he had more so worried about telling some kind of story that he has in mind and really kind of digging in. Tusk is, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. but no, I don't know how I didn't even think of that because Richard Kelly is the one who influenced him to make red state. Um, yeah. but, uh, because they're, they're actually pretty good friends, but, uh, Tusk the problem with Kevin Smith versus Richard Kelly, I think they're, they're, they both have the same problem, but on different sides of the spectrum. Richard mm-hmm. Kelly is thinking about it way too much and <laughs> spending way too much time figuring it out. You know what I mean? Like he's more interested in like what he's figuring out, what he's discovering rather than Kevin mm-hmm. Smith doesn't care. Right. Like, but, but, I, <laughs> I think, but like, I think that's fair. Yeah. Like I remember when I, like, I feel like I name dropped too much on this podcast, but I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> You know, I've gotten to work with Kevin Smith and it was right after Tusk and Mm -hmm. I was talking to him about it. And, um, and he was like, he was like, what'd you do? What'd you think is weird. Right. (laughs) And I said, it was very effective. And he like this blank look just like washed over his face, just like a, huh? Like, cause I think that Tusk is a masterpiece. Like I really do. And Tusk is, you're right. Very similar. It's very, it's silly, but it, it's sincere. You know what I mean? And it gets Mm. to. Um, but he's not thinking about it. He's just kind of like, he took the surface of self. <laughs> yeah. It, it's weird is a great starting point. It's like, where do you go from there? Right. Right. And Tusk yeah. is just like, I think that red state too starts out brilliantly because it's what Kevin Smith knows. He knows being a horny teenager and he knows religion. But then when it gets into that, that second half where it totally deviates from anything he's ever come close to doing before, it just, you can tell it's from a guy who's seen a lot of law and order. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Who doesn't know what he's talking about and hasn't thought it through. And I feel like the ending is so lame mm-hmm. to red state. Um, but then Tusk was this brilliant, wonderful transcendent movie. And then yoga hosers was just back to like the nonsense. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yoga hosers. It's man, the worst I, movie. It's, it's so, so bad. bad. It's so bad. <laughs> and, and like, and like offensively bad because that movie cost like fucking $10 million to make. And it's like, man, do you know how many other artists could have benefited from that? You didn't, you yeah. know what I mean? If you want to make a vanity movie for your fucking kids, like that's fine. Robert Rodriguez did that for 10 years and those are pretty good movies, but mm-hmm. like you've got to try. You can't yeah. just like, <laughs> you know, man, that just makes oh. me sad. <laughs> well, I I have no idea how you feel about my other one that I was going to bring up, so I might as well jump into it and see what you what you have to say. But uh, it's another movie that uh, we've done on the podcast that they live was a puzzle piece for. It is Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You. Did you like that movie? No, no, no. I but I yeah, but yeah feel... I see what you're talking about. One hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I I felt mixed on it. I think it has some 
some interesting ideas. I appreciate the craziness of it. I didn't think it was 100%, 100% successful as a movie. But um, yeah, it, as you can agree there's just so much crazy and like it crazy as a starting point of where to really like pick up this story and try to dig into some like really interesting ideas but maybe not necessarily get in there especially not if you're not uh, fully invested in the story and everything that's happening it's going to be really difficult to to really find the meaning in all of it um but it, it's it's an interesting movie though and and I am really interested to see what else Boots Riley has to say in a future movie. Uh, I, I think it's an interesting debut, but um, yeah, not, not necessarily the most successful movie though. He, um, I went to an early screening of that. At, uh, it was the last film they ever did is the film independent series at LACMA. Um, mm -hmm. So I went to a screening of it about a month before it came out. And um, it was, I was really looking forward to it because I love Lakeith Stanfield and Army Hammer so oh, yeah. much. And I, and uh Army Hammer's great in it, by He's the way. He's fucking brilliant in it. That's the role Ben <laughs> Affleck would have played 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but when I was watching it, I, all I was thinking, very similarly to what I was saying about Kevin Smith's you know, work recently, that it's, like, it, it's kind of thoughtless. It's mm -hmm. nothing but sensational complaining. And Boots... Riley did a uh, Q&A afterward with Elvis Mitchell, which basically is to say that Boots Riley sat there while Elvis Mitchell talked at him for an hour and a half because Elvis Mitchell is there for Elvis Mitchell. Um, but what blew my mind was that Elvis Mitchell was saying things like, I love how you brilliantly set up the character like to seem like he's in animal cages the whole time. You know, he becomes a horse at the end, but like at the beginning, he literally lives in a garage, which is framed like a stable. And then you see him framed in a bullpen like a, you know, like an animal, blah, blah, blah. And as Elvis Mitchell was saying that, I was like, wow, I didn't catch that. You know what I mean? Like, like, and like, mm -hmm. which is, which is odd because I, that's how I view films. You know what I mean? I view it through that lens. Obviously I like Southland Tales. And I was like, how was I missing that? How was I? And then after Elvis Mitchell got done talking about it, Boots Riley goes, oh shit, I didn't even think of that. That is crazy, isn't it? <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding? I thought maybe he was joking, right? Like, mm -hmm. but then later on, Elvis is talking about Lakeith Stanfield's performance and how brilliant it is, which it is. Mm -hmm. Um, he's Lakeith Stanfield is the most underrated person in I mainstream entertainment today. He's so yeah, he's brilliant. Um, but and the nicest guy in the world. Um, but he was praising his performance, and then Boots goes. Boots is like, yeah, you know, Lakeith, he's just crazy. He's just one of those actors that just, man, he just takes that shit too seriously. Like, he was telling me when he points at his uncle at the beginning, he was like, Boots, I have an idea. When I'm pointing at my uncle, telling him off, I feel like the problem with the character is that he's so noncommittal that he can't actually point at his uncle. He won't even commit to pointing at his uncle completely. So I kind of want to bend my finger so that I'm not pointing directly at him. Because I can't even commit to the idea. Mm -hmm. And I was, then Boots is like, and I was just like, man, that's some actor shit. Do whatever you want. That don't matter to me. And I was like, what? That's brilliant. Oh. He's thinking about it. He's, he's mm -hmm. giving you fucking gold, man. Like, he's adding that layer that you need when you're doing something like that. Otherwise, you're just jerking off. You know what I mean? And like, God, like, 
it was so- it's interesting i didn't even think when i put these two together how close it is to the kevin smith thing of like starting at crazy but not going anywhere with it right you know? right and tusk yeah. was a happy accident unfortunately is what we've discovered you know what i mean like it was mm-hmm. a happy accident but like but yeah sorry to bother you what really bothered me about it <sighs> was that it's again kind of like i was talking about with an idea like groundhog day or idiocracy where it's such an important, like such a great idea and an important idea, especially for when it was made, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to be more responsible. You have to be more considerate. You have to be more thoughtful. You have to have more purpose. Especially because no one else is going to make that movie. Right. And why are you doing it? Why are you doing yeah. it if not? And, and the answer becomes for yourself or for money, right? Mm-hmm. Which directly relates to yourself. I remember when I went to that LACMA screening, I was a little thrown off and confused. It's like, here's a bunch of people in line for this movie and they're all wearing like Malcolm X pins and Spike Lee t-shirts. And, and uh, this was right at the beginning of black lives matter movement, you know, t- like they were, and I was, and I remember feeling like it felt more like being in the line for a pre-screening of Batman mm. and everybody wearing their Batman masks and paraphernalia. <laughs> it didn't feel like an actual like movement. It felt very empty and vain in a, in a certain way. Like maybe that's Mm. being hypercritical, but like it did like kind of jar me at the beginning. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, but, but again, what's interesting about that movie too, is like how much it was hyped up and then how quickly it's kind of faded into obscurity. Mm. Like there isn't that fan base like idiocracy has, or like, um, they live has, you know what I mean? Like there's sure. Sorry to bother you really faded very quickly. Which is a shame because it's a brilliant idea with a brilliant, important, like, with an important message and, and at the right time. And it just came across to me as a vanity project that wasn't hmm. interested in telling. For all its flaws, Southland Tales may, may, be, um, may be a little incoherent, but it's, but it's, but it's, there are no plot holes. You know what I mean? There's no, it's not, in, it's not inconsistent. It's not poorly thought out you know what i mean yeah it's all there exactly and i think that sorry to bother you just even on a narrative platform i don't and him becoming the horse at the end it's like what are you saying with that like Mm -hmm. what are you saying with him becoming the horse at the end after finding what was the cure for it and taking down the corporation that did it like so are you saying that like but then the horse for some reason is still fighting the fight but it's like what does him becoming this horse hybrid person do? Like, is that a message of hopelessness? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. And, and I would maybe trust the movie more and I maybe, I would maybe would have gone back and had a second look at it. You know what I mean? Cause I like Mm -hmm. to pick things. I like to sift through things. I won't say pick things apart, but I like to sift through them because uh, as they say, gold diggers mine mostly for rocks and sand, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So like, I don't mind panning. I really don't. But after hearing Boots Riley talk about it, I was like, oh, like you have nothing to say. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, seriously, like if especially the weirder the concept, the more they've got to they've got to be all in on it 100 percent for it mm-hmm. to to really to really drive it home. If I had been on the sorry to bother you, I would have used a Groundhog Day as a puzzle piece. Nice. <laughs> if you had another movie that just like. <laughs> This is the best idea for a movie ever. And what did you do with it? Nothing. Fuck you. <laughs> and they just recently released that he was supposed to, Bill Murray's supposed to have been in that day for 10,000 years to the day. 
dude, after mm-hmm. 10,000 years, if you're still like pining after Andy McDowell, like, <laughs> like if you, if you have not like gained any kind of like wisdom beyond like spiritual wisdom, you know, phys- like, like it just nonsense. Is that true? Is that what they say? 10,000 years? Is, really? Even if it's, even it's a, even if it's a fucking 10 year, you know, difference, 10 years, it, like in that movie, they're saying theoretically that he's read every book in that library twice, every book in that library. He's mastered sculpting ice. He's mastered the piano. He knows every single thing about that town to the second. And we see that montage where he like kills himself a million different times, right? Where's the mm-hmm. fucking scene where he kills somebody else? You know what I mean? Go there. Yeah. Don't be afraid to go. And like, and like some of it's a little bit of the time, but like, you know, what we have to slowly open our mind, you know, like a, a, a big problem that people have understanding what real change is. Change takes time. Unfortunately, mm. it takes patience. It takes, um, and it takes repetition. It, you know what I mean? Mm. It, it takes a lot of, it, it, it requires a lot to create real change. One of the reasons I think that we're seeing such a problem in the world right now with everything that's going on, well, in our country, at the very least with what's going on, is because we're doing the same thing that we did 50 years ago, like citing how it affected change. Like it changed laws, it gave people rights and stuff like that, right? But here's mm-hmm. the thing. It didn't actually change a consciousness. Right. It just shifted us economically. It shifted, you know what I mean? It, and so that's an important thing that needs to happen. And it yeah. and that happened, but now we have to like and unfortunately and yeah, it's it's so sad what people have to go through in this country in this world. It really is the worst. But you have to create understanding if you want it to go away. I think that like part of the language this is getting a little too political, maybe, but like you know, Southland Tales. Um, <laughs> if this is not, I I don't think that the right answer is we're not fighting racists. We're fighting racism. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like that's the new frontier. The new frontier is, is conquering racism. Right. And I don't have a solution for it. So I'm not dare telling people what they should or shouldn't be doing necessarily, but like, right. but I can't help but say that like, I don't know, maybe if Groundhog's Day had dared to show <laughs> Bill Murray killing somebody else. And we had, a big change right there. Well, but no, but seriously, like, like, you know what I mean? Like it's no, it, I, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 there is a responsibility when it comes to art. And as much as art doesn't want to ad- admit it, entertainment is art. See, most people think I would say the opposite there were uh, where entertainment won't admit that it's art. No art won't admit that it's entertainment. Like that's mm-hmm. the, that's, that's the truth that art has always been a conversation through abstract. You know what I mean? Like, like it, it's always been, uh, it's always been, it's a lot of artists will call filmmaking, especially they'll say art is a mirror to hold up to society. I don't agree with that. I think that that's mm. absolutely incorrect. I think that art is a lens for society to look through, not mm. at, you know what I mean? And, um, and I think that now more than ever, like, you know, in 1991 or whatever, when Groundhog Day came out, was it 90, 1990, something like that. I you, think so. You, you couldn't really do that much. And as much as I hate people like Christopher Nolan and Spike Jones, they really did like push things in a direction where you can do more now. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. opened those doors a little bit more. I mean, there's plenty of other people, but those are just the first two that come to mind. Um, so like we as artists, you know, we need to, we have the opportunity to step up. We have more opportunity now than ever to speak in an abstract, creative and thoughtful, meaningful way. 
Richard Kelly did it a little too crazy for people, I guess. But, um, but that's why I get so frustrated when I see things that come out today when people just aren't trying, you know, like you can make movies for less, you can make movies easier, but I guess what they're proving is that easy isn't always the right thing. That's right. Was it Jeff Goldblum, Jurassic Park? You spent too much time saying, can we, and not enough time asking, should we? I want to put that directly at Kevin Smith and uh, see, <laughs> see what This happens. is a rare podcast you have me on where I'm, where I'm like giving credit to Christopher Nolan, Spike Jones, and Steven Spielberg all in the same podcast. This is a very positive conversation. I Which, like it. For me, saying nice things about those three, quote-unquote, gentlemen is... My friends won't believe it. <laughs> well, Joe, I think we pretty much covered Southland Tales as much as you can in a one-hour conversation. Uh, is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Uh, oh, man. I saw this movie, Going in Style. Uh, it was made by Martin Brest, who did Beverly Hills Cop and Meet Joe Black and Geely, but don't hold that against him. Um, <laughs> it was his first film. It's about. It's got Art Carney and... Uh, and uh, it's it and George Burns. It's about three old men who just are tired of like they just wake up one day kind of bored with their routine and they decide to rob a bank. Mm-hmm. And but it's a very lackadaisical movie. It's not a heist movie because they rob the bank a half hour into it and then they're just like, okay, so we got this money and uh, you know it's it's so beautifully heartfelt. I doubt any of your listeners will watch it, but man, if they do, it's they're in for a real treat. Uh, go Wasn't it just remade like a year ago, I think? Uh, uh, I think I posted this on, our, on, on the group page that that remake is the most offensive, stupid Ugh. remake. It the, looks so bad. It's so bad. In the remake, they, they give them like motive to do it. Like the bank is going to foreclose on Michael Caine's house and of that course. same bank took away their pension because it bought out their company. So like you know what I mean? So it's like a revenge heist. And like one of them has like an illness that they have to cure and they don't have money for mm-hmm. medical insurance and blah, 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 blah. Nah, dude, the genius of the original premise is that it's just, it's, it's literally a film about old people being like, you don't think of us as people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like we're not, people don't even notice us as anything other than old men. So fuck it. You know yeah. What I mean? Half the, like a good chunk of the movie is just them at a casino gambling the money and just winning a ton <laughs> and then it means nothing to them outside of like isn't that crazy we just yeah that rules we flipped thirty thousand into a hundred and five thousand dollars that's cool let's go home you know yeah i love that i i that but that remake garbage garbage just offensive don't watch well, the remake <laughs> do not watch the remake absolutely but maybe watch the uh, original it sounds fun yeah. uh so joe where can people find you and your work Okay, so I, I don't know when you're releasing this, but I assume it's going to be after Thursday. Um, yeah, it'll be sometime in June. So yeah, we got a little bit to go. But Perfect, perfect. Okay, so right now, folks, if you're listening in June, um, <laughs> I, uh, I finally completed my year and a half long journey of getting all 14 or 15 now of my feature length films onto Blu-ray. Um, and I'm, there's a, you can go to the Blue Means Pregnant uh, Facebook page and you can... Um, you can see our campaign to raise money for the manufacturing. You can also see clips, trailers, posters for all of the work. I've also put together like a video that has um, a, one shot of every single face that has ever been in front of the camera on one of my films. There's like hmm. it's a five minute video with 
hundreds of faces just and you can it must see. be a lot oh it's beautiful like it, it was so beautiful to do i'm not a nostalgic person but just to just to realize the scope of what we because it's not just me in this company it's a bunch of us what we have done you know in the last 16 years we've been doing this and yeah. um it, like i i just want to invite people to you know at least celebrate with us you know what i mean if not become a part of it but yeah, the Bloom Blue Means Pregnant Films Facebook page, and there will be a website link there soon too. Um, we would love to share our, our work with you, and and uh, love to hear your thoughts. Awesome! I'll put a uh, link to the uh, the fundraiser in the show notes of the episode. Sick! Thank you. That awesome! Really means a lot. For sure. Well, uh, Joe, as always, great having you on. Some great stories there, <laughs> and uh, I'm glad we finally got to do this one. Same. Hello, welcome to the All Points West Podcast Network. This is Q. June is going to be huge for us. We're starting the month off with the launch of House on Fire, a podcast hosted by youth climate activists JP Mejia and Gabby Rodriguez, and presented in partnership with the Clio Institute and Unicorn Fire Radio. We're talking climate change from the front lines of the crisis, Miami, with the generation who has the most at stake. In their first episode, JP and Gabby talked to the co-founder of Zero Hour, Jamie Margolin, about how Generation Z is taking up the mantle for action on global warming and what it means for the near future. The first four episodes are up on June 5th with more to come every other week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review now. Meanwhile, over on Awesome Movie Year, Jason Harris and Josh Bell are reviewing the year in film 1996, including Swingers, Welcome to the Dollhouse, Bottle Rocket, Independence Day, and more. They've got some awesome bonus content they'll be releasing later this month, but you need to subscribe to find out what it is. And over on Entre Dos, Monica and Paula are getting deep into the world of language rights and how parents can push for better bilingual programs in their communities. So check it out by subscribing today. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Southland Tales. It was a fun one to do, and uh, thanks, Joe Black, for joining me again on the show. Uh, you should go check out his fundraiser that he's got going on right now for his Blu-ray reissues of all of his films. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for that. And uh, that does it for today. You can, of course, uh, support the show by following us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. Uh, or just, you know, subscribe to the show wherever it is you listen to podcasts. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And uh, we also have a Patreon where you may have already heard this episode because it's been up for a couple weeks now since we first recorded it. We usually post the episodes early on there. And then they uh, hit the main feed. So if you're hearing it on the main feed, then it's on the main feed but a lot of these episodes do go up early over on the patreon and we are planning on recording a whole bunch of other bonus content for that patreon soon as well as some uh special exclusive music stuff that i'm planning on putting out there soon as well so check out the patreon slash piecing pod to uh you know maybe throw some support that way as well and if you're ever interested in joining me for an episode we've got a lot of movies coming up that we're hoping to cover and always looking for new co-hosts and you know also we got a lot of episodes on the way by the way we've got a couple of special interview episodes hitting in the next couple of weeks uh, a couple of other kinds of special episodes uh, special middle of the year countdown kind of thing even though it's been a really weird year and of course just covering more new movies some of the stuff that's been hitting streaming and that stuff so lots coming your way so let's close this thing out. This is a long one, over an hour and ten minutes already. Jeez. Well, let's close this thing off with a piece of music, as we always do. 
And I think it's been a while since I played this one, if I've ever played it. I probably did at some point, but this was the title track from my last album. My last regular full-length album, A Different Kind of Dream, it is called A Different Kind of Dream. I love this track. It's a weird one, and uh, so I think that makes it a good fit for Southland Tales. So let's close it out with A Different Kind of Dream. This album is available on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to music. And uh, we'll be back with more Piecing It Together coming up next week. West Production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.